Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to our interview series, episode number 201. I hope everybody has enjoyed the first 200, hard to believe, 200 of these doggone things. But here we are with 201, Ken Coolis the head boys basketball coach at Concordia High School here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Really excited to have Coach on here. But before we talk to Coach Coolis, we, of course, need to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you or any of your athletes are struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at COSACchiro.com, K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. Or give them a call at 402-964-0300. Follow us on a pen and a napkin on Twitter. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle. Haven't been as good with that the last week or two, but been a little bit busy with the whole season and scouting and coaching and all that fun stuff. But uh, we'll get back at that here as soon as possible. So try to take a look at that there. Uh, If you're listening, download, rate, review, give us five stars, tell us about it, forward it out. Uh, the more that you do that, the more we move up in the rankings. And when folks search on on various platforms, hey, coaching basketball podcasts, a pen and a napkin starts sliding up there. So that would be great. Questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Go check out a pen and a napkin.com. I think it's a really good coaching website. I feel that way because I'm the one that made it. So go check it out. And here we go. Moving forward, episode 201, Ken Coolis. It's a nice Sunday morning. You are 1 and 0. And you got to be feeling good about things, Coach. Yeah, it's been a good start. Um, really got a lot of experienced kids coming back. Um, kids that have, have been there before. And, um, you know, it was good to get going. We really beat on each other here to start the season, uh, start the, the practice session. And just to be off and running, it, it just feels really good to get going again. Absolutely. Yeah, I, it's, you know, it's for us as coaches, I'm sure you kind of feel this way too. Um, for us as coaches – you know, we get those 13 or 14 practices, and it doesn't feel yep. like nearly enough. Yep. And after about eight practices, the kids are ready to play somebody else. And and it's, it's like, right. but but then yeah. the co- the college coaches have like 30 practices, and that's probably too right. many. You know, I right. I think the sweet spot would be around 18 to 20 for for both levels, don't you think? Yeah, I do. You know, the biggest thing for me is we just didn't know what we didn't know about ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, you're going into that first game and you look great in practice and everything's humming along and you're going against your, your JV group and, oh my gosh, you know, boy, that was a cool spot. My my post just popped and knocked in that three. Then you get in that game setting and it just doesn't look anything like that. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we went out to Wahoo for our preseason game and really just did some stuff that was out of character mm-hmm. and uh, we're able to correct that on film. And, you know, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have gotten that if we hadn't had that preseason game and, and really got in front of a different opponent. So mm-hmm. a blessing to be started for sure. A blessing for that Jamboree game and uh, just uh, really excited again to get going. Yeah. We had kind of, I, I just went through the same thing. I, I got done watching our, our film from last night. Um, and, you know, we, I, I'm writing down my my notes, and I'm like, oh man, we haven't covered this. Plum, you're an idiot. Yep. You know, God, oh, we, we got to talk about this. Plum, you're an idiot. You know, we got to emphasize. You know, right? And, and so there there is something to be said to playing against somebody else, getting into that you know game situation, and right. you know just figure you know giving giving yourself the opportunity to to make a bunch of mistakes and then figuring them out. 
Right. And then, and then the other thing for us, you know, we have um, five guys that were pretty experienced from last year, yep. but like six, seven, eight, nine for us are talented kids, but they'd really never been in that situation. And just trying to, to sort through of those guys who's going to be ready to go and, and who's going to be able to step up and, you know, really a varsity situation, which, ends up being completely different than the JV situations that they've been in is, is just that Jamboree game is, is really important uh, for us. And I think for a lot of coaches just around the state. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Hey Ken, let's jump into it here. Let's, let's talk about, uh, let's, let's get things started for folks unfamiliar with you. Uh, tell us about your basketball journey, uh, how you ended up at Concordia and, and the head boys basketball coach there. Yeah, so, you know, I'm a Grand Island Central Catholic graduate. Um, I played for Coach Bill Gavers the first year that he was um, a head coach at GICC. Um, we had a great year. I think we won 22 games, made it to the state tournament. And um, in that prep area for the state tournament, I end up breaking my hand. Oh, man. And I start, you know, I start like 20 games, 21 games for uh, for us that year, and I break my hand and, and there I am sitting on the bench at uh, the state tournament, uh, my senior year, not being able to suit up, not being able to play. And, you know, this, this piece came over me that just said, you know, you should do this someday. You should really think about, you know, maybe being a coach and maybe trying to get back to this level at some point. So that, that experience, I don't, I don't know. As you know, I'm a math guy. Um, I thought maybe engineering was the was the road for me. Uh, you know, go be an engineer, make some money, get the nice truck, get the big house. But this this feeling of like, hey, this is something you could do. This is something that you would be happy doing. In that setting, really, really kind of drove the early part of my life. And um, I went to Kearney, UNK, mm-hmm. and wasn't big enough, wasn't wasn't fast enough, didn't shoot the ball well enough to play basketball there. But I, I just had a love for it. And when I came out of Kearney, I, I student taught at Millard West. Mm-hmm. And that was the first uh, coaching experience that I had. I, I was an assistant coach for Rick Hook there. Um, and uh, just one of the freshman assistants. And then I ended up getting a job there after I, I student taught. So I think this was around 1997 was my first job there. Yeah. And um, just kind of worked my way up through the program. Uh, had a lot of great coaches there and a lot of great sports. I coached football. I coached basketball. Uh, coached football with Dan McLaughlin. Um, uh, Matt Terman was on there. Uh, oh, Matt Terman. Matt, Matt yeah. Terman's a knucklehead. He's, he, he does, yeah, yeah, he's a knucklehead. And then <laughs> Seth was there with him. And, uh, yeah. You know, there were just great coaches there. Uh, you know, Kirk Peterson's a head football coach there. He actually coached basketball at the time. Dan McLaughlin coached basketball. Uh, there was an uh, old school guy in Millard. If you're a Millard guy, you might know the name Nick Danzy. I mm-hmm. love Nick Danzy and, yep. and Joe Votrek. And, and these guys just kind of built, you know, who I was as a coach. Maybe not necessarily as a basketball coach, but but just the whole coaching um, camaraderie and and more so how you treat people in that setting. And I think probably my biggest influence on that was Rick Hook. Um, he was head coach at Millard West at the time. And the way he treated people was just bar none the best of anybody I've ever been around and you know I learned from that and I learned um, what it meant to to have a coaching staff and and what it meant to treat those people the right way Uh, so I spent eight years there um, really just cutting my teeth on the whole thing learning how to do it uh, really worked my way up through the basketball program I was a 
freshman coach, then I was a reserve coach, then I was the JV coach, then I was the varsity assistant, and um, I finally got my first um, head coaching job at Hastings High School in 05, 06. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a it was a great experience. Um, my wife is an Omaha person, so um, you know moving to Hastings was a little bit of a culture shock. And when we went out there, I, I told her, well, when the when the jobs come open in in Omaha, I'll go ahead and I'll apply back for those jobs. I, I I'll try to get you back to to Omaha. And it ended up ends up that we're only in Hastings one year. Um, it was a great year. It was a very rewarding year. Um, I learned a lot about myself as a coach, and um, I, I ended up with a uh, head boys job at Papillion La Vista. Mm-hmm. Uh, first year at Papillion La Vista, we got a lot of talent there. We have a lot of athleticism, um, but after that group, and, and we had a really successful year that first year, after that group, the, the talent level, um, it, it was just ended up being a ground-up build mm-hmm. at that point, and... I sunk my teeth into the um, into the lower levels, into some of the junior high um, groups, trying to build a program from there, and just was never really able to get to them. Um, and after five years, we, we ended up parting ways. And I was really in, um, you know, just kind of a, a, a dryer. I, I, I didn't have anything to do, and I ended up going and talking to my um, pastor at Beautiful Savior, um, and I was like, you know, I don't really have a lot to do. And he's like, well, you know, we have a, a freshman coaching job at Concordia that we need filled. And he was just totally, you know, being facetious about it. He wasn't even like serious about it. And I'm like, you know what? Why not? I, I've coached basketball my whole life. I'm going to, I'm going to go out to Concordia. And I'm going to be the freshman coach. And Dan Masters was the head coach there at the time. Um, I really um, enjoyed that freshman. There was there was none of the stresses that go with being a head coach. None of the none of the hard part that goes with that. And yep. it was it was just super like just super fun and just rewarding to my soul to be able to work with freshmen and just try to teach them teach them the game. And I was a hundred percent content in that that setting. I, I would have been Dan Masters. He's just a great guy. Um, I, I would have been content just helping him and being his assistant and helping him grow the, the program. But the summer of uh, that first year that I helped him, so this would have been around 11, 12, that summer of that year, he decides he's going to take an athletic director job in Sioux City. So now Concordia is without a coach. And they really didn't even interview. They just, it was like July, and they're like, well, do you want it? <laughs> and I was like, heck of an interview there. I don't really know if I want it um, because, I mean, being a, a, you know, as a class A head coach and um, being in that setting, there's, there's a lot of, of stresses that, that go with that. And I don't want to say I was soured on being a head coach, but I just understood what that meant. Yep. Um, my yep. life was going to change like again. And, you know, it, it scared me a little bit again. And, and um, coming out of the, the papillion situation, you know, I, I wasn't overly confident after, after what happened there and um, not being successful in that setting and, and um, trying to grow up from the bottom up and everything that, that occurred there. And I ended up saying yes um, to it, obviously. And, and now I've been at Concordia for 12 years. And um, it's it's truly really been a blessing for me. It's been, you know, uh, just great families, great parents, and, and really more than anything, uh, an administration that really wanted to grow with me. 
that wanted to, you know, know what they could do to help me, that what do we need to do to, to, to make athletics um, really great at, at Concordia and what do we need to do for your program? And, you know, I was able to grow it. And, and now not only are we strong at the top level, but, you know, we have uh, we have good kids down all the way down through our, our kindergarten level. So really an exciting time. I love the build process. I love the, the being able to, to take something. And, you know, I, I got the mathematics mind and, and uh, I like to build things. I like to be an engineer and really the, the engineering version of, of creating a basketball program has just been extremely rewarding for me. Mm-hmm. How do you think that that situation at Papio La Vista, you know, obviously it was hard at the time. It was a struggle, right. but, but, but how do you think that maybe was a blessing in disguise and helped prepare you for the Concordia situation? You know, after the thing, I, I just realized as basketball coaches, and this is going to sound weird, but being a head basketball coach at a, at any school is really a temp job. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're there for, you're there for however long you're called to be there. And then when your time is done, your time is done. And your job at that um, at that level is really just do everything you can for those kids in that scenario to, to, to be as successful as they can be. And and then when you're called to be something else and when you're called to do something else, then that's okay too. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I definitely don't hold any ill will towards the, the, the Papio situation. Um, I, I, I look back on that and I think about, you know, just being a, a formational part of my life. And I was still a new coach when I went there. Yeah. Um, I, yep. I didn't know what I didn't know. And, yep. um, and, and now coming out of it, the backside, I don't know. I, I think I'm a lot more confident with, with myself and, and just understanding that, you know what, it, it does take players to win. And if you don't have the players and, and you can't, there's not everything you know you can't always do something about that yeah you can you can coach them up to a certain level um you can treat them with respect you can treat them in a a, you know really a a godly manner that um you know is is respectful of them and respectful of who they are but at at the same time that doesn't guarantee that you're going to win and that's the that's the culture we're in nowadays we we want to win we want to win now and um as a coach, um, if if your time has has run out at the place that you're at, that's okay. You you will be fine going to do something else. It will be okay, and, and new doors will open. If will open if you're uh, if you're still interested in doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it been like for you as a dad? Uh, you talked right. about your own playing experience. Uh, you got a chance to coach your son, which I'm yep. sure uh, is is you know. It's an interesting. Super rewarding. Yeah, yeah. Sons, actually, I have another one playing right now. Uh huh. Okay. And, and, and so, you know, what is that? You know, you've got your your oldest at Concordia here at, at Seward, and you're, you're right. coaching your other one. You know, kind of. You know, tell us a little bit about what that has been like for right. you. Well, I, I'm just gonna. If you're a dad out there and, and you're coaching, um, it, there's no question that you have to hold your son to a different standard. Um, I've seen it. Um, you know, both both mentally, physically, emotionally, the the whole thing, and um, that was something that you know when I talked with my sons, and and I would help them with their you know their select basketball growing up. I was always like at their select practices. I would be an assistant. I, I never really wanted to be the head coach because I didn't want to decide on playing time. But mm-hmm. uh, with both of my boys, we had we had select um, growing up, and um, I would always I would always help out with those uh, those teams and. You know, one thing I would 
tell them on the ride home is that like you are you are going to play the hardest you are going to be back first you are going to be in a stance and you know what if you're not you can you can pretty much count that i'm going to say something to you because as the as the coach's kid what you're able to get away with is what everybody's able to get away with so if i was if i was to let them do whatever they wanted to do to to not defend to to pout on the court um it was just never going to work so i squashed it early um when they were a third grader and they they went into pout mode i was like all right and it, it was never really me yelling at them but it was like all right if you you know if you're upset if you're crying if you're gonna throw a fit then you should probably sit on the bench and i just kind of handled it that way and and growing up through it they learned that you know what i I gotta i gotta hold myself to this this level and i i have to i have to play a certain way and luckily for me they both play pretty hard yeah and um if they didn't that's a struggle and um, I've heard coaches say you either want your kid to be by far the best or by far the worst. <laughs> yep, I've heard that too. Yep. And if you're in the middle, um, then it's rough. And for me at Concordia, it's like, okay, you want your son to either play the hardest or not be good enough to get on the court. Well, mm-hmm. you better be in the play the hardest yeah. situation. And then, and then people, you know, then their teammates buy into them, and then their their fans buy into them, and then it's 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 really not a question at that point. So. Yeah, so you know, I started that early with them. I started um, with their with their select teams. We started, you know, coaching them, and we'd have those conversations. And, and it was never a yelling conversation, but it was always a, a very straightforward, very matter of fact conversation where this is what it's going to look like. And then you know, it looked like that in the third grade, and looked like that in the fourth grade, and then and then when they were freshmen and sophomores, then it was really never an issue. Mm-hmm. Want to know more about a pen and a napkin and all the resources it offers? Go to a pen and a napkin.com, a great resource for any coach at any level. In addition to our a pen and a napkin university video library options that are available to order, we have hundreds of pages of notes from one page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every a pen and a napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of a pen and a napkin. A pen and a napkin.com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. What a, uh, you know, you, you took over for, for coach masters and yep. you, uh, it, it was a program that, that just hasn't had a lot of tradition, uh, right. a lot of success and it's, and it's been a slow build. I mean, it's literally right. been brick by well, brick. I can tell you why that build was slow. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's get into it. Yeah. I mean, let's, yeah, get, let's... let's get into the, why the slow, slow build happened. So when we, when we opened and it looks like we were Oh one Oh two, um, we didn't have a varsity season for two years. Sure. And then we're D two and then we have a D two schedule and then we're C, we kind of bop back and forth between D two and, and C one and, C2 and and you know Dan had um, early on obviously there were some struggles but then he has a year where he's 10 and 10 and another year where he's 14 and 8 yep and then another year where he's 11 and 10 and you know there was some building going on some some realistic building and um, you know we had that D1 and that C2 schedule and we're playing teams like College View Academy like um, Cedar Bluffs yep. like just really small schools. teams yep. right yep. And we're having some success. Well, you know, we're in West Omaha now, and and all of a sudden our population starts blowing up, and and we hit C1 really quick. Yep. 
And now all of a sudden those, those, you know, the college view academies and your OCAs and your, and nothing against these teams at all. I completely respect them. In fact, they beat us my first year that I was here. We, we still had some of um, the smaller teams on the schedule, but we started replacing some of those teams with like, you know, Boys Town who's oh. just drilling us. And then we, we replace them with, you know, then, then there was a, a point where we think we're going B. So now my athletic director puts eight Bs on my schedule. So to say there was a slow build, yes, but it was it was really um, schedule related. Our, yeah. our population at our school booms, and then all of a sudden we're replacing College View Academy with Bennington. Yep. Well, that's not going to go so well. That's a big jump. Yeah, and that's a big jump. So now, you know, we kind of level off with wins for a while where we don't really have any jump in wins. Well, our schedule developed over, you know, from like, I don't know, from like 2009 to about where it is now. I suppose we got our, our, our schedule now in about 2017. Mm-hmm. So in that in that span, in that eight-year span, we end up losing like two or three teams that we had beat the year before. Yeah, and then the next year we add in um, two or three teams who just quite frankly we weren't ready to beat. Sure, and then so so then you see what you see is you see a leveling off of our our wins and and really nothing that we could have done about it. Yeah, um, that was back to the building process, back to the process of okay, what do we what do we got to what do we have to do to be able to now beat the new teams that we're preparing for, and mm-hmm. and that was hard. It was uh, you know because as a coach. As a coach, you see growth. You yep. see, oh my gosh, we're better than we were last year. Yep. And then you look at the win and loss columns, and all of a sudden, it, it doesn't show up in those win and loss columns. And yep. they're like, uh, you know, not banging your head against the door because it's just what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you, uh, you bring up an imp- interesting thing, and, and I'm going to spring this on you here, Ken, so I apologize. Okay. But, no, that's good. Uh, you know, we in Nebraska, we have our, our wild card point system, and, and scheduling sure. is important because there's right. – you math guys love that stuff. Us, us right. history teachers, we can't handle it, but you math guys right. love, you know, the probabilities of this and that and what's a 47 versus a 44. And, you know, right. you know what is the importance of scheduling to the success of a program? Man, I don't. Oh, this is such a yeah, such a twisted thing. I mean, are, are you better playing off of uh, you know on your schedule? Are you better playing a a B team that maybe has a lower like uh, record that you're going to get um, more points for, or are you better going and like scheduling a really good C two team that that has a great record that uh, you know you're going to get get the fifty point win for and. Man, I don't, I don't even know the answer to that. Yeah. It's such a. There's some years that I will say this. There's some years that we go into the year and, um, like those C1 teams that are at the at the top of C1, they are just grinder games. Yeah, I mean, they are just these games where they're. I call them 50-50 games where you know half the time you're going to win and half the time you're going to lose. And then you go to you go to a, a B school and um, it's it's not the grinder. It's they're maybe not as skilled because their their program is in flux or, or something like that, and and it's a game that you're you're better suited to win. And um, I don't know. I mean, where do you go? What direction do you take it as a head coach with that? And I think I think the deal is you got to look at your group and you really got to say, okay, where where are we best suited to, to compete? And mm-hmm. for us right now, being in West Omaha, you know, I. I, I think it's really important for Concordia to play Bennington. 
and yeah. to play Ron Colley and to play Mount Michael because, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we have to recruit kids to our school. Yeah. Um, we're, we're a private school. And at the end of the day, we have to get kids in our doors. And, and, and let's be clear, like, when you're at a private school, every kid is recruited, the tuba player well, and the yeah. basketball player. Yeah, so, I mean, I yeah. mean, nowadays, if you're at a public school, you're recruiting your own kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, with open enrollment, it's – and when I say recruit, I mean, I'm, I'm using that as a – Yeah, I know what you're no, saying. I'm not calling them up and going to their house or anything like that. Yeah. When I say recruit, I'm saying you're trying to get kids in the door. You're trying to get kids to look at your program yep. in a positive way. And for us right now at Concordia being just – physically where we're located in the middle of all these, we really have to uh, uh, present a, a really a good face for the, the surrounding basketball community. So, you know, we have kids come to our games and we have kids think, wow, you know, this would be a, a cool place to go. This would be a cool place to compete. So for me, um, it's not as much points, although points are important. Um, for me, it's a, it's a locale and, and being, just it's important for me to be a player in this area be a and by player i mean be a, a solid basketball entity out in in western omaha that kids look at and they think oh wow this would be a this would be a really cool place for me to for me to go and um that's kind of that's kind of how i've taken the the scheduling um over the last few years really really important to play play quality competition i, I can't stress that enough yeah. If you go through a season with um, with all games that are you know you're highly favored in and, and you should win you know versus good. going into games that you may may or may not win, I mean you have to have those games where you may or may, may not win, mm-hmm. um, so that when you get to the end of the season, you know you've been in those situations, you've been in those pressure cookers. So uh, that's kind of my my scheduling thoughts. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. No, no, it makes perfect sense. I mean it's. It's it's uh, there's a bit of an art to it, you know, with with a little bit of a science to it, because you are. Hey, I think West High has a chance to be uh, a 47 and we should be able to pick that up pretty easily. But if we play East High, looking at their schedule, they'll probably be a 44. But, man, they're playing a great schedule. And I think they're a better team and that might be better for us in the long run. And so there there are those decisions that need to be had right. to a degree you know so 100%, yes yeah. yes for sure yeah um you know speaking of scheduling and, and the building of the program you know your program the last three or four years you've made a couple of state tournament runs you, mm-hmm. you've, you've been on the cusp of 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 getting to a championship game you know uh right. it, it, you haven't got there yet um right. but you know you're you're right there and and, and how does that fuel you how does that fuel the kids is is that still that one little you've done about everything right you still got that right. one carrot dangling at the end of the stick yeah, is that, we do. yeah. You know, and, and that's not something to, to shy away from and, yeah. and that's not something that that you know i'm scared of it, it's just um it, it really takes a lot of luck to win at the state tournament um uh, in a lot of ways you know you have to be healthy yeah. when you get there uh we have been healthy um and and we've um We've done a good job with that. Our, our kids in our weight program have done an incredible job. Um, we just flat look different than we did, you know, 10 years ago as, as a program when we step onto the floor. So, you know, you got to have the health thing. Um, two, you have to be playing really, really well at the end of the year. And not just to get out of your, your sub-district, but to get out of it, you know, the district final in, in C1 is it's a challenge and it's, it's, uh, it's a really hard thing to do. So we don't really talk about 
you know, winning a state tournament. We have um, three basic goals um, for us, and and basic goal number three, the probably the one that we live by, is play our best basketball in March. Um, we don't really say, you know, win the state title. We say we're going to play our best basketball in March, and then what happens after that is is what happens after that. Mm-hmm. Don't wanna, we don't want to. We don't want to. You know, I, I'm not going into the season saying, guys, I hope we're undefeated because as soon as you lose that one game, now all of a sudden that goal is gone. Yeah. And I, I don't want to create goals that, um, you know, if, if you lose that goal, now all of a sudden, well, we don't have that anymore. So, yeah. Um, what are so, the other you know, two goals? We, um, you know, we, we want to play for each other um, is, is goal number two. So love each other, uh, play for each other. Um, get rid of the stats, get rid of the Twitter, get rid of the, you know, the, you know, next pro preps of America, the, <laughs> the interweb, whatever of, of the United States ranked us as the, this, that, or the other duo. And I could care less about that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm old school, so I, I don't really get on that stuff that much. But, um, you know, we got to play for each other. That was, that was goal number, goal number two. And then, uh, goal number one for us was um, just really just the question of do you want to be coached hard? Because, you know, going into this year, we have kids that play on all these select teams and, and do a lot of different things. I have a, I have a Division two kid in Clint McCafferty who's, who's got, um, you know, played a lot of different places and is going to college. And then at the end of the day, if I can't, if I can't coach them hard, then nothing's going to work out for us. So our three goals have been uh, want to be coached hard, play for each other, and then play your best basketball in March. So we're mm-hmm. kind of existing in those three three um, things. And then, you know, we think if, if we do that, if we do that, then um, we can have, A, we can have a great season, and then B, you know, it's it's never a guarantee to get the state tournament. I don't care how good you are. It's just not. Yeah. Just you are not guaranteed. You can run into a buzzsaw. You can run into a night where you don't shoot very well. But you know, at, at the end of the day, if we're doing those things, then we're doing things the right way. Mm-hmm. And if we're doing things the right way, we think we have enough talent that you know maybe at some point we can we can get over that hump. And and um, you know, I have uh, I have some kids that have been there two or three times that that have that experience. And um, you know it. It is definitely a thing. We've we've been down there. We've gotten we've gotten third. We've gotten fifth, and we've gotten fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, have not made the the state finals yet, um, but we have played really good basketball down there. We have not laid an egg. Yeah. Um, if we're healthy, um, if we're playing good basketball, and um, we keep plugging away at it, we think we're in good shape. Yeah. Well, you know, people think highly of your team this year. Uh, yes. you've got a new hat. Uh, you are the preseason number one team in the state. You, you've played one right. game. Well, we and... were, I mean, we were the preseason one, um, two years ago too. Oh, okay. My apologies. So, so we, uh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, and I, I, I could talk a little bit about that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just, yeah. So what, what's, what's, you know, completely, completely different feeling the two. So, yeah. uh, let's say you're now four years ago, the first year that, um, we were really any good in 20, uh, 2021. Um, you know, nobody really knew us. We hadn't really been over 500. Um, we hadn't really done anything, but we just had a great group of kids. That was, uh, that was my son's junior year. Um, we had a group of seniors that year that, um, that could play that, that just, they were maybe the grittiest group I'd, I'd ever had. And, the chase that year, the chase after people who were quote unquote better than us, 
was probably one of the most exciting years that that we'd ever had just you know um mount michael was super super good last year and we ended up beating mount michael at home and it was kind of a watershed moment for us because it, it told us where we were and we told us we'd turn the corner and, and we could do this so mm-hmm. that year from an excitement level was was awesome and then we hit the next year and we're omaha world herald you know number one whatever um because we had such a good year and we returned a ton and the the difference in feeling from the chase to the top is i I don't really know if i can describe it yeah um i don't want to call it i don't want to call it pressure i I guess i guess it is pressure it's it's just more like weight yeah and like when you're going after somebody and you have that chip on your shoulder about it versus when they're coming after you and we end up we end up going up to your school we end up coming up to fort calhoun that year and oh yeah the second game and we knocked you off yeah 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 you got us you got a second game and you know um we just we just got too cute with ourselves we we forgot what what made it and, and we weren't setting screens and we weren't we weren't rebounding and we weren't putting into the post and we thought we were going to shoot all these really cutesy threes all the time and and really really just kind of forgot lost our identity and and losing that game up there that year was probably the best thing for us honestly because it refocused us and it got us to where we needed, needed to get to and then last year again so last year you know um, we graduate the senior class that we had graduated the year before, and I'm not kidding. The entire school was like, "Well, you guys aren't going to be very good. You guys <laughs> are going to be about 500. Yeah. You guys are going to be this. You guys are going to be that." And we were back at it. We were back at the chase again. We yeah. were back at um, you know going after people. We were we were back in that building process and that that excitement of the chase process of of I'm going to go after somebody. I want to. I want to prove that I can do this. And, and in a year that we were supposed to be, you know, 500, we ended up 24 and five. Yeah. So that was exciting. And now here it comes full circle again. And now here we are, Omaha World Herald number one. Um, and, and we're back to that, 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 that feeling, but it's different this year because we've been there. Yeah. Um, we know, you know, we've, we've identified it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Three years ago, when when we were there, we didn't know any better, so we weren't able to identify it. We weren't able to say, "Hey, all this stuff. Congratulations on the accolades, but they mean nothing if you don't do things the right way." Mm-hmm. And we talk about it daily. We mm-hmm. talk about the the need to to you know play for each other, the need to be coached hard, um, you know, the need to to do things the right way and, and play your best basketball much. We talk about that daily. Mm-hmm. Just every single day, we are. We are talking about, okay, did you set good screens today? Did you rebound today? Did you do the little things that are going to make us great? So um, it is a different feeling on Zap for sure. Um, but this this group um, is a really mature group and, and really handling it in a good way. So, um, you know, we got we got really tough games coming up. We got Ron Colley on Saturday, and, and we got Bennington coming up. We have a really good SCOTUS team. So, you know, we might drop one here in, in December. We might drop two in December. And, um that's okay if we're doing things the right way and, and we're going to build this, this thing up to play really great basketball in March. Mm-hmm. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. 
How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach, at this time, we are going to switch gears here. We're going to uh, we're going to talk a little John Wooden here. So, uh, and, and and truth be told, uh, this John Wooden quote I used with my team on Friday. Like I I, I picked this out for your podcast, and okay. and I, and I started thinking about it. I'm like, this is really for us going into this weekend and to start this season as well. And right. and so this is I, I use this in, in two different ways for your podcast and for my own team. So uh right. from Wooden a lifetime of observations. Uh Coach Coolis, are you ready for the John Wooden quote of the day? I'm ready. All right. From page one hundred and sixty nine, here's the quote. Don't worry about trying to be better than someone else. Always try to do the best that you can. Learn from others, yes, but don't try to be better than they are. You have no control over that. Instead, try, and try very hard, to be the best that you can be. That you have control over. Maybe you'll be better than someone else, and maybe you won't. That part of it will take care of itself. Well, that fits us. <laughs> that fits us really, really well. Um, yes, this is, this is the daily conversation, right, as a coach. Um, when you're the coach is, is you can handle and you can affect X, Y, Z in your day. And what you're really trying to affect is you're trying to affect, you know, baby steps forward. You're trying to, to say, Hey, here's where we are today. Did you get better today? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the quote's about, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, about, it's about get better today. Well, and, 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 and the yeah. comparison of, well, Concordia is doing this and Concordia beat, beat West High by 30 and we only beat West High by 15. I guess Concordia is 15 points better than us. No, you can't control that, you know? No, yeah, you can't control that. Yeah, yeah, especially in the modern era, yeah. Yeah. Um, Definitely can't control that. So, yeah, that that quote uh, really just fits. That's a a great quote quote for the, really for the years, is just the message of let's get better every day, let's play play well um, throughout the season, but but let's not be satisfied with where we're at. Let's Mm -hmm. not Let's not accept um, accept where we are. Let's let's continue to get better and, and play our best basketball late in the year. Yeah. Well, let's get into how you do that, Coach. Uh, you want to talk okay. defense or offense first? Oh, I think we can do defense. Okay. I'm, a, I'm a defensive guy at heart. Right. Um, I think that, you know my background with uh, you know Bill Gabers. I I know of him. I don't I don't think I've ever met him personally, but I know of him. Right. So so Bill is. Uh, they actually call him Cheetah out west um, in Grand Island. He's they call, just, they uh, call him what? Cheetah. I don't really know even know why they call him Cheetah. He's just kind of an kind of a, a, a awesome dude, a, a great ambassador for basketball out in uh, the middle part of the state. Um, was head coach at GICC, was head coach at uh, uh, Hastings College for a while. Yep. And just a really, a really good dude and um, really kind of, set the the defensive tone uh for me and my career in motion um there at my my senior year in high school and um just just that hard nosedness the the you know getting in a stance bending your knees all of that stuff that goes with that it, it he really kind of in, infused that 
defensive mentality into me and and um i don't know i, I hope my my team mirror that mm-hmm. well how do you uh you know as you're building up your program uh how did you implement that uh what are right. some things that you that you do in practice here to implement your defensive philosophy and yeah just just gonna let you cook here coach and and uh if i've got a question or or something along the way i'll try to politely interject sure. myself here but just uh yeah, tell us tell us about your defensive philosophy so, and what you do and how you do it. Right, so we're a man team. Um, I think we played one possession of zone last year, and I think um, we came out at like half within a 2-3 zone, and the team hit a three on us, and I'm like, well, that was stupid. So <laughs> then I was like, I'm not doing that again. So um, I would not look for – you want the scouting report on us? I would not look for us to be playing any zone this year. It's just not in my DNA, so – um, I've always thought, man, if I could just throw a better curveball, be, we'd be better. But um, you know what? At the end of the day, we got to bring the heater, and, and the heater is our man-to-man. So mm-hmm. uh, we try to start there. Um, and I think whenever you're you're doing defense, I think two things go hand-in-hand first uh, when, you're, when you're trying to pick out really a defensive scheme. And that's where do you want to influence the ball? And then paired with that is is how do you close out? And I can't count the number of times that we close out in a in a practice setting i mean if you're doing a drill if you're doing a rebounding drill if you're doing a i don't care a shooting drill whatever you're doing the closeouts should be built into that mm-hmm. um i don't i don't ever let our kids do anything without a, a proper closeout and you know we've seen a lot of as, as coaches we've seen a lot over the last few years you know the pack lines really gotten popular with mm-hmm. uh, some of the college teams and um you know, some teams will come out square. I know my son's college team. They're trying to uh, Concordia Seward. They're trying to square you up um, when they close out. Um, uh, the, the new one. Have you seen the force left? Um, they call yeah. it lock left. Lock left. That, yep. Yep. Yeah, that's been that's been really prevalent the last few years. Kind of, it's kind of come in and out. But uh, at the end of the day, we're, we are a force baseline team, uh-huh. and um, for us, that's where we start. And, and I don't think that's the end all be all. But it's just what we've chosen. And I think as you develop that, you have to first choose um, where you're going to influence the ball, if you're going to do that or if you're going to be square. And then two, like, what does that closeout look like for you in a game setting and in a practice setting? Like, what foot are you going to close out on? What hand are you going to lift up? Um, Where exactly? And I'm, I mean, I'm specific Mm -hmm. when, and my coaching staff, we are extremely specific with what that closeout looks like. And like I said, it, it doesn't matter what you do, but if you show me a good defensive team on film, I'm going to show you like five guys on the floor closing out the right way mm-hmm. every time and they don't miss. And then like after that, now you can start building your defense around that closeout and that, that where are you going to push it to philosophy? And really, if you have kids that that don't buy into that and you have kids that, you know, some are closing out on the high side and some are closing out on the low side and that really just blows up your defense. Uh And you really I I don't really think you can move forward with the defense until until you handle the closeout. So we spend time like every single day and I don't care what time of the season it is. um, You know, we we spend time closing out Uh and not just in shell. I mean, we'll do we'll do your basic closeout drills over and over and over again and and if they blow the clothes out in practice i mean we're stopping it and we're fixing it if yeah. you know like the one i see all the time obviously is 
is on the left side of the floor. We're, we're a high foot closeout team. Mm-hmm. So on that, on that side of the floor where if you're closing out high foot, it should be, you know, it should be left hand closeout uh, or le- high hand, left hand. Because we're, we're going to close out on the top foot. Yep. We're going to get our, our top hand up, but all of your players are right handed. So now when they close out on that side of the floor, they want to close out with a high right hand because they're right handed and that feels more comfortable to them. Well, when you close out with the wrong hand on that side of the floor, all of a sudden you just gave up the middle. Mm-hmm. So you got to stop that in practice, and you got to you got to fix that. You got to get you got to close out with a with a high hands up and and on that correct foot. And and really, if you're going to build a, a great defensive unit, that's that's the starting point. There's there's nowhere else to start. Mm-hmm. After you get that, I mean, so so that's that's like one. Um, after you get that, obviously, then you're gonna then you're gonna go to your your first pass off ball defenders, and you're gonna ask yourself, okay, what does that look like? Are we a are we a butt to the ball? Are we a hand in the passing lane team? Are we a, a full pack line gapped up team? Uh, Those were my next like, questions. What, yeah what what does that what does that look like for you as a as a person? You know, what does that look like for you as a coach? What are you comfortable with? For us. Um, for us, it's force baseline, and then we call it rope. Um, so if you can imagine uh, a line directly from the, the ball handler to your defender, to the guy that you're defending, if there was a rope between them, if you could string a rope, you want your hand grabbing that rope. Mm-hmm. So we try to get our hand up um, on that rope. So your traditional, um, I don't want to call it denial, because depending on who you are, we, we would uh, – we would maybe back off, like if we're playing a boys' town and they can really drive it, maybe we back off a step off of that that rope line. But we're going to try to get a hand up in that passing lane. We're going to have our butt to the ball. Um, we're going to have our head on a swivel, and we're going to be in that gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're a pack line team, you're more you're more in an open stance, waiting at the elbows. Um, if you're a force at left team, you're, you're you you look different in those settings. Mm-hmm. So one A, I'm going. We're going influence the ball. Um, how do you close out? Um, step two, um, what does your one pass away defender look like? And again, you can do drills every day with that. You can, you, your basic jump to the ball drills, your, your, your two, just like a straight two man shell drill where we're passing it and we're jumping to the ball and we're close out on the high foot and we have our hand in the passing lane and, and you really, you really build off of those two things. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me after that, um, um, I would have to decide, um, after the on the ball and um, what is your on ball defender is how are you going to handle screens? And I would categorize the, the screens as like three A and three B. Like three A would be how do you handle your your non ball screens, your your flex cuts, your pin downs, your back screens. Um, are you going to fight over those? Or are you going to switch those? Um, are you going to hedge? Are you going to are you going to go over the top of screens? Are you going to slide under a pin down? What does that look like? And then three B is is how do you handle like your your ball screen? coverage are you a are you a switch team are you a drop coverage team are you, are you going to ice it um so we would handle we would handle those things um you know there, there's been times in my my career where i've definitely switched all of those things we've switched flex cuts before we've switched pin downs um one one back a ways if you go back in my career ways we, we would have switched like a back pick i never wanted to get dunked on so we try to switch it yeah um, and then we would also switch your, your ball screens at times, but we've really kind of gone away from that. And, um, you know, if, if you're getting a, 
uh, like a flex cut or a back strain, any of that type of thing, that's, you know, direct conflict with a hoop. They're, they're coming at the hoop now on those. And, and as a, you know, the guy setting the screen, you, that guy's defender, you want to really step and redirect that guy. And mm-hmm. we're not going to switch it. We're going to step and redirect all of those things. Pin bounds, we're going to show and we're going to hedge. And, and really depending on if you're a, if you're a shooter or not, we'll go over or over it or under it, depending on how good you are shooting it. Like, uh, you know, a kid like Grayson Bowman mm-hmm. at, at Fort Calhoun. I mean, if you're not, if you're not out and you're not chasing him, I mean, the ball is down. He's going to, he's going to make it. Yeah. Or, and, you know, a kid like Glock at, at Wahoo, we're going to, we're yeah. going to try to chase all of those. That's, that's not a, you know, a secret of what we're going to do on those. We've, we've been doing that for, for 10 years now. And, um, how, how are you going to handle those, those screens? And then, and then from a ball screen, like, like what is, what does your personnel tell you? And, and for me, my personnel does not tell me to switch it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I had, a bunch of six one six two kids that all look the same. We might switch it, but I got a six nine kid, and I got another off ball six four kid, and another six four kid off the bench. And you know, from a personnel standpoint, my personnel says hey, we're you know we're going to go into drop coverage, and, and we're going to chase people either over or under those screens, and and hopefully uh, hopefully jam from the from the backside, depending on on like uh, you know what offensive personnel are on that backside, but we're going to jam at that point and um, go from there. And, you know, those, those topics, there's, there's other things. It's how do you handle the post? Are you going to front or it back? At, um, that was know, my next question. Report, what does the scouting report tell you to do? Yeah. Um, there's other things, but if, if you start with where do you want to shove the ball? What does that close out look like? Um, and, and then you can decide, you know, how are you going to handle screens? What's your off ball defender look like? But, I think, like from a DNA standpoint, those first two, like the influence, the ball, and the the, the gap away, is really going to build the rest of those other things. And you have to be solid. You have to force them. Um, your kids in practice, you have to force them. Those closeouts need to be the same every single time. Uh-huh. Coaches, you know just as well as I do that we're always looking for new and different ways to motivate our players and programs. But sometimes it's hard to find that perfect source that we're looking for. Over the past 25 years, I've collected hundreds of handouts to help motivate my players and programs. And now I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. The A Pen and a Napkin 101 Best Handouts Booklet is now available to you for only $15. In this booklet, you'll find motivational material for all types of situations and individuals to help you communicate your values to your players and program. For ordering information, you can either DM me on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com for details. Well, let's jump to the other side of the ball, Coach. Let's talk a little bit about your your, your offensive philosophy. Uh, you know, obviously skilled players make your offense look a lot better. Uh, but but I've I've liked your, your your stuff as I've watched you play our boys team the last you know three or four years, uh, sure. you know so so tell us a little bit about your offensive philosophy. Tell us a little bit about uh, you know you've you've had a couple of different teams. You've uh, you've been blessed with some uh, with some uh, strong post presence uh, as well, which helps with your offensive balance. So uh, so so tell us a little bit about how you've built your offensive philosophy there at Concordia. So we're mover blocker right now. Um, two bigs, um, we call them blockers, and then three um, guard type of things, which which we call movers. If you, if you want a, like a picture of it at the college level, it's it's what Virginia does. 
Um, and if, if you think about Virginia, you think about a, a ball control offense that kind of runs through their bigs and and um, does those type of things. But we really didn't get it from Virginia. We actually got it from Grand Island Central Catholic when we played them in the Centennial Conference Tournament, and we didn't have an answer for them. Mm-hmm. Like, there was nothing that we could do to them that would have uh, – would have mattered and they had at the time they had two really good posts like really really good they had like six seven i don't remember what their names were but they had a six seven post and a six eight post and and then some other guys that could actually do some post up things too so um it is it is somewhat pattern oriented um mm-hmm. you get pin downs on, on both sides and then you, you lift the backside post and you go from there, but um, we got it from them, and we went down and played them in the Centennial Conference Tournament game and just got blasted. And like I said, what they were doing, we had no answer for it. And um, so we're like, well, let's let's research this. Let's look into it. And, you know, we, we went to your, your championship productions um, online, uh, the, the website online that has all the videos, and we got all the mover blocker films that we could get and, and we started studying it and we started looking at it and it really, it really looked like something that would fit us. Um, I could see the posts in our program coming up. We were, we were basically before that we were ball screen wing. Yeah. what we were, you know, throw it to the wing, set your screen, you know, accept it, reject it, run a slip screen, whatever, whatever that looks like. That was, that was the year before um, our, I think this is our fourth year now in mover blocker. But we saw these posts coming up through our program, and we're like, we, we've got to do something that actually accentuates what they do. And we went out to Grand Island Central Catholic and, and just got thumped by them with this offense. So, like I said, we started looking into it. Um, we got those videos, and then we really made it our own. Yeah. Um, if you look at Mover Blocker uh, for what it is online, we definitely have, I would say, I'd say we're about 60 or 70% of what, like, a, a Virginia or what your online videos say and then we really adapted it to um, contain some ball screen action in it because we thought we were good at it mm-hmm. and um, it just it's just kind of developed and, and rolled from there um, I think when you're choosing I mean you know up to my career this is I, I've been coaching for geez I've been coaching since 1997 and the last four years the first four that that I used mover blocker and I, I say that because I think adaptation as a coach is super important. Yeah. Like you can't just say, Oh, this, this, my system is the greatest system and my players should fit within this system. Yeah. Well, if you don't have those players, you better, you better adapt your system or you're going to get bumped. So we, uh, we saw this offense. We liked this offense. Um, we adapted it to our guys and, um, really at heart, I'd say I'm a motion guy. I mean, I think, I think that's where you got to decide where you're at. Are you, are you a pattern based offense where, you know, your old flex, your old ball screen wing, where it looks the same and, and it, it goes through the same cycles regardless of, you know, your personnel or, or are you kind of a motion based? And I wouldn't call mover blocker a hundred percent fight out motion. It, it's definitely yeah. not that. There, there's a structure but, to it, but there's some freedom with it as well. Right. And that's kind of where we where we wanted. I, I wanted I wanted structure, but at the same time, I wanted to be able you know kids to be able to read what was going on in the in the situation. And um, last year, we actually taught it completely as a pattern, and it was because we were so young, yep. and they had to do the same thing every time. And then there was a couple of reads they could do, and we kept the reads super simple. Um, but then you know, as it's progressed, we've gotten the more motion based aspects of it, but still within that that framework of your posts are going to screen and then after they screen they're either going to slip or they're going to 
sit right on the block. We, you know, all of our posts want to pop to the three ball, like everybody's posting all of America does. And we want them to get down there and, and use our size and, and use our strength advantage and go from there. And yep. I'll be quite honest with you. When I lose a, a six, nine kid, um, next year, that's, that's pretty dominant on the block. My, my offense might adapt and it's, it's probably going to need to change a little bit. Yeah. Um, as we move forward. So, Hey, can, can I ask you genesis of that? Can, can, yeah. Uh, you know, you talked about having it, you know, you, the first year it was just, it was really, really structured and now right. you give more freedom. Uh, I, I think one of the mistakes that a lot of coaches, especially younger coaches, make is they, they implement an offense, and then after two weeks it's not working the way that they want it to, so they try another offense. And then it's right. not like, you know, how important – it takes probably a year to a year and a half for a, 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 an offense, whatever you choose to implement. It takes right. a year, a year to a year and a half to really get it to click the way that you want it to. And, you, oh, and you talk about that process. Yeah. So, and this is kind of funny. Um, the year we implemented it was COVID. (laughs) So I went into the first game that year with, um, a brand new offense with man, that first week of practice, um, that year, I want to say like three of my starters didn't even practice the whole first week. So I was YouTube videoing it. I was sending (laughs) it out on, on, Hey, here's what we're doing offensively. And, And we were trying to we were trying to do all this and we were going from ball screen wing to this, this mover blocker. And, um, I'm just thankful for extremely like smart basketball players that year, or it could have blown up on us, uh, uh, really bad that year. Um, but you know, looking back, everybody was in that same boat. Uh-huh. So everybody was a little bit behind. And I think just as a sidebar note, I think the thing I learned the most from COVID more than anything in like that I've, learn coaching wise is just to keep it simple yeah oh my gosh we, we had to right we had to keep it simple that year yeah i mean how you you couldn't get into all your all your traps and all your specials and all it was like how far can i dumb this down to look to be good enough for sure. these kids mm-hmm. to be able to, especially in a new offensive you know set it how, how can we do this to make it make it make sense and make it stick and not have it blow up on us. But, but you're right. You're exactly right. I mean, like when you're, you know, implementing a new offense or whatever, and then you get it on film and then all of a sudden you get scouted and stuff that you think works all of a sudden gets blown up. It's like, what, what do you do? And I, I'm not a multiple offense guy, man. Correct. We have, yep. we have mover blocker. I mean, that's what we have. And then we have some specials and, yep. and that's just what we've chosen to go with. And, we'd rather be great in, in that. And we'd rather learn how to grind, uh, grind it in that and, and learn where you're going to get your shots than have 42 offenses. It's just not our philosophy. Have, have, have one really good offense as you watch your team develop, as you watch how other teams scout you, you, you tweak and you adjust and you do the same thing on the defensive side. Uh, you know, we, we have, we have our seven defensive principles and right. it was a great experience for us uh, Friday night against Bergen where we were playing a certain aspect of it a certain way. And then after halftime, because Prib now is a, a really good coach, he made a couple of really good adjustments against what we were doing, which right. then forced our kids, okay, now they're doing this. Now we have to adjust our philosophy to right. do this. And... And it's if you really believe in what you're doing, 
you you got to have that stick to to go Jay Billis on us here. Uh, right. You got to have that stick to to it to stay with it through thick and thin, tweak it, tweak it, tweak it, and right. and give it a chance to really breathe and get your kids comfortable with it. Because when you start switching all that stuff around, then the kids start doubting themselves. Is it me? Is it you know? Right. Just just build it up instead of tearing it down. Right. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, that's 100% my coaching philosophy, 100% the direction that we, uh, that we've taken. And, you know, I mean, again, we have, we have talent. Um, we yeah. have really good kids. We have big kids. We have strong kids. So, um, to be fair, basketball is always easier when you have guys that can put it in the hoop. Yep. But at the same time, even, even with the talent, I mean, and with huddle nowadays, I mean, people are going to see everything that you do and people are going to have it scouted and people are going to find ways to, to shut you down. So really important within whatever you do from a base office offense standpoint is to be really good at it and then have those little those little tweaks and those little adjustments that you can do to, to take advantage of whatever the defense is, is going to bring at you that game. Absolutely. So, um, Coach, let's let's wrap up with, with press attack here. Let's talk a little okay. bit about your press attack and what you yep. do against pressure. Uh, how, how do you, how do you look to do it? What's the you know, what's the mentality that you try to implement with your kids? Let's just, let's just go home on this one here. So number one, um, I, I always take it as like a personal attack on me and my kids when people press us, because <laughs> what somebody is trying to tell you when they press you is you are weak. You cannot handle the ball. We're going to come up and we're going to do this to you because we don't think that you you can, you know, you can handle a press. You can't handle us in this setting. And that's, that's just me personally. And, and I know they're not saying that to me. I mean, they're not physically like coming over and calling me weak, but yeah. when they press me, that's my, that's my mindset. It's so, like, really, yeah. you're going to press us. That's really what you think you can do. Uh, you know, real, real, I try real, to instill that. Yeah. Real, real quick. You know, I, I see it as the opposite when we're getting pressed. Like if somebody, like if we're getting beat by, you know, 20 or whatever, and they're pressing right. us and they take it off. I'm like, no, don't feel sorry for us. Make us figure this out, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, so right. uh, just, just interested. That popped into my head. Go ahead, Ken. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just take it personally when somebody does that. It, it, I basically tell the guards in practice, I said, dude, guys, you know, if they're pressing us, they're saying that you're weak. They're saying that you can't do this. They're saying that you, you're just not strong enough with the ball up top. So for us, I mean, you use the term press attack, right? Yeah. So for us, it's an attack. Yep. And I'm not, you know, the only way you're ever going to get a team out of press pressing you is if you actually attack and then actually score out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so number one, it's where do you put your, your people? Where do you put your, um, your guys? And just as, as an example that, that you would probably know, you, you mentioned my son uh, that plays at Concordia, Zach. Um, he's six foot. He's a guard. He handles it pretty well. And in, in all of those situations, his, his years that he played, I would put him up the floor. And I would put him up the floor because, like, when he would get the ball up the floor, he would not be one of my top. You, you look at our team and you're like, oh, well, he's one of the top guys on the press attack. No, he's going to be up the floor. Um, we're going to do whatever it is that we do to attack that press. And then we're going to put the ball up the floor to him. And then he's going out the basket. Mm-hmm. And um, that right there, that piece, or he's going to get a three from the corner or whoever that really good offensive player is for you. I, I would encourage, encourage you to do, you know, do you have two guys up top that can handle it? Um, and then 
if you get it over the press, you have a guy that you can absolutely get them out of the press with. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, that's my, that's my, like, you know, besides where I put people, um, that's my press, press attack philosophy is let's put two really good offensive players up the floor. Let's make them get out of it. Let's stick a three from the corner. Um, they don't think you can handle it. We're going to, we're going to at some point, I mean, at some point, right against the press, you're going to get a two on one. Yeah. If you're attacking it. So are you going to make them pay in that two on one setting or mm-hmm. are you going to like not have that offensive kid up the floor and then he's going to have to pull it out? Well, if that non offensive kid up the floor has to pull it out, why would they ever get out of the press? Mm-hmm. Why would they? I mean, yes. they have no reason not to press you. They're going to they're going to keep with it. They're going to stay with it. Uh, they're going to keep that pressure on because you have never made them pay for doing that, that yeah. scenario. So Absolutely. just from a philosophy standpoint, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. And then, and then built within that, I always tell the kids there's, there's really only three presses that anybody could ever do. One, there's a man press, uh, man with a run and jump, which obviously if the run and jump comes, you have to do whatever you're going to do versus that. But anytime there's a man press, we're going to completely clear out, completely get up the floor and, and try not to get back tapped, you know, by, by going too fast. So we're going to hundred percent clear out. And then the other two presses, it's either a hard press or a soft press. And I don't care if it's a one, two, two or a one, two, one, one, or what your version of that hard press is. Yeah. Uh, the hard press, they're going to trap you immediately when you throw it in bounce. And to me, it really doesn't even matter the set. It's just, you are going to get trapped here in this position in a hard press and in a soft press, you are going to get trapped at, at half court in a soft press. Mm-hmm. So we try to boil down like like our press attack scenario. We we have to do that coming up. We're going to see uh, we're going to see Bennington and we're going to see Ron Colley here real quick in the next few games. And they're going to they're going to both press us and they're going to both get after us. And we have to have this solid. So it's funny that we're talking about this right now. We have it we have it on our practice schedule for tomorrow and the next day. But um, I try to boil it down to those those three things. We're going to we're going to either get trapped here, we're going to get trapped here, or it's going to be man and we're going to clear out. And I think the thing that, that I do a little bit differently than, than maybe some other schools on it is um, besides put my, my scores up the floor is I try to get my best passing big in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Whenever I watch like, like press attack on film and there's nobody in the middle of the court, it just, it just drives me crazy because you got that, you have got to have that presence on press attack in the middle of the court. And again, I have a, I have a pretty big kid in the middle of the court. That's a big target that we can always throw it to. But, um, it, it kind of goes back through. I, I would usually put uh, on the press attack scenario, I'm usually going to put my five in the middle of the court, whoever yeah. it is. And I'm going to teach him, you know, to be successful and the, to catch the ball in that, in that scenario. And then obviously the defense will collapse around him and then he'll have those outlet passes. And usually when he's getting trapped up in that position, it's usually a kid that he can throw over, right? Because the top guys in your press are usually your guards. So now he's able to catch that ball in the middle, whether it's a hard press or a soft press or whatever. And then he's able to square up the floor and, and really look up and, and find those, those people that, um, you know, that, that maybe can score. So if you can get your big man in the middle of the court, um, do whatever pattern you're going to do on top versus that hard and soft press and then look up to your scores. I think, um, uh, and, and really be aggressive with those scores. I think yeah. you're in, in good shape getting people out of, uh, out of pressing you. One of the things that I've changed in my own vernacular, uh, over the years and, uh, and, and, and I didn't really, 
I, I think I did. I started it very, very early, but this was a Don Meyer thing. You know, instead of calling it "run your press break," run your press right. attack. You know, because break. Yeah. You know, press break. It's like I'm just trying to survive this. Press yeah. attack. It. No, no, we're, we're we're not going to survive it. We're going to thrive off of it, and we're going to come right, right. back at you. And I and I think that is. Uh, that's an important thing to, again, the mentality of it is no embrace. You know, it's kind of like, you know, in football, the blitz, well, they're coming right the at blitz. us. Well, you know what? You yeah. know, what? it's an opportunity to make a big play. Don't look at it as Why they're coming after us. Because they're saying you can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can either, uh, you know, you can either not handle it or you can learn to attack it. Yeah. Same philosophy. Yep. Same philosophy. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Okay. You know, great place to end it here, Ken. How about that? We, we're we're going to end on it. We're going to go George Costanza. I'm out. We're ending on a high note here, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll roll there. So, uh, appreciate you having me on. This was fun. Yeah, awesome. Uh, yeah, I appreciate your time. If if folks want to know more about your program here, uh, I got uh, at Omaha Concordia BBB is on the on the Twitter machine. Is that a good place to go? You know, uh, I'm I'm a little old school, and and um, my Twitter stuff, my Twitter my Twitter game is probably not what it should be. To be honest with you, uh, I'm a I'm kind of an email and a text guy. Um, it's uh, K U L U S K, and then it's at ConcordiaOmaha.org is my email uh, address. But more than that, obviously, you could you could find emails or or. Um, through the Concordia Omaha website and I'd just be more than happy to, to help anybody that have any questions or if anybody wanted to ever come out and watch practice you'd be more than welcome to come do that yeah awesome awesome well uh, yeah can I yeah, hope you had a great time on here this morning that was super fun thank you yeah uh, hold the line here just a second we're going to wrap it up here again Ken Coolis, the, the head boys basketball coach at Omaha Concordia he's done a terrific job with this program I've seen him play a lot the last few years and and he, and he uh, they do things the right way uh, with without a doubt kids play hard uh, kids play with integrity they, they they play the game the right way so um, so check out his program check out our stuff here at a pen and a napkin we try to put out the daily coaching tidbits again I'm in the teeth of my season here so I'm a little bit slower at it right now but bear with me folks uh, we're getting there so uh, download rate review this one like I said give us five stars comment on it it helps us out uh, if you've got any questions comments suggestions or ideas email me at pen and a napkin at gmail.com don't forget to doc- uh, check out Dr. Kevin and Dr. Heidi at COSAC Chiropractic they are the best at what they do so coaches hope you've enjoyed episode number 201 and as always coaches let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time